0: Hello there, and welcome to KDL's Stump the Librarian podcast, where your friendly neighborhood librarians put their research skills to the test to answer questions from you, the listener, or your pool lifeguard, your zookeeper, or your Uncle Leo. I'm Jill, and I'm here with Liz. Hi, Liz. Hi, Jill. We love answering your questions, so please send them to us at kdl.org forward slash stump or email us at stumpthlibrarian at kdl.org. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love it if you followed the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. When you follow and like our podcast, more people can find us. So instead of a top-of-the-pod question, I have a joke for you today. Listeners keep sending us jokes, and we love them. I do love a good joke. Yeah. So I'm going to share another one with you today from, from a listener at Ada. Eden, what do you call a cow with no legs? what? Ground beef. Good one. (laughs) Good one, Eden. Thanks, Eden, for that really (laughs) silly question or joke today. (laughs) All right. I do have a question from a listener, though. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm so ready. Okay. What's your question? Uh, My question is from Vivian at Wyoming, who was one of our team crew last year. And Vivian's question is, why do seasons change? Before I start answering this question, Liz, would you like to share our favorite seasons together? Oh. What's yeah. your favorite season? Oh,
1: gotta be summer. I'm a summertime lover. <laughs> Me too. I want fun in the sun. I want to be outside. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's hot. I mean, I care, but I can go in the shade, but right. summer. I'm a summertime yeah. person. How about you?
0: Me too. But I have to say, I get so excited at the changing of each season that I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this is my favorite season. Yeah. Oh, this is my favorite season now. But... <laughs> Ultimately, I agree, summer is my favorite. I like being outside all the time without having to think, oh, I got to go put on 100 layers before right. I go out there. And I like all the fun we have at the library in the summer. <laughs> we do have a lot of fun in the, every day. Every single day. It's so much fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And sometimes you go home at the, and you're like, summer over, I'm so tired.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, at the end of the summer, that's how you feel. But yeah. now, like at this point, I'm like, I'm ready for it. I know, Let's super go. excited.
0: <laughs> it's time for summer. But I'm also super excited for real winter.
1: Yeah, snow. yeah. Let's go. At this point, we haven't had a lot of snow yet. Not yet.
0: Not yet. So, all right, let's okay. talk about seasons. Seasons are the four divisions in the year, winter, spring, summer, fall, that have particular climate conditions. The sun plays a very important role in the seasons that we experience. Mm-hmm. You probably already know that the earth revolves around the sun. It, the earth takes 365 days to revolve around the sun, and that's how we determine that what a year is. It's 365 days. It's a Time it takes the Earth to revolve around the sun. Here's the thing about Earth. It's not revolving around the sun, straight up and down. It's tilted on its axis. The axis is the imaginary line that goes through the center of the Earth. When we study the Earth, we think about a few different imaginary lines. The axis that goes through the center, and the other one is the equator, which is an imaginary circle that goes around the center of the Earth. It splits the Earth into two equal halves. We call these two halves halves the Northern and the Southern Hemisphere. The Northern Hemisphere is where we live and includes the North Pole. The Southern Hemisphere includes the South Pole. When the tilted Earth is rotating around the sun, for half of the year, the North Pole and the Northern Hemisphere gets more direct sunlight because they're tilted towards the sun. When the Northern Hemisphere where we live is tilted, leaning towards the sun, then the earth is warmer and we have summer and the days are longer. The same time that we are having summer, people in the Southern Hemisphere are leaning away from the sun as far as they can, and they are experiencing winter. That is so weird to think about. (laughs) I looked up, when I was doing this research, I looked up the weather in Australia, which is in the Southern Mm -hmm. Hemisphere, and... It's a very cold day in Michigan when I was researching this. Very cold, but it was eighty-seven degrees in Australia. That sounds delightful. I, do, I, I gotta know, say, I know. <laughs> but in August, when I love to be at the beach in Michigan, it's winter in Australia. Isn't that weird? Does it get super
1: cold there, like it does here? No,
0: it doesn't get. Uh, well, in the desert, mm-hmm. in the desert, it gets cold. Um, almost anywhere at mm-hmm. night, just mm-hmm. because of the conditions. And a lot of Australia is the desert, but it is more of a, a temperate climate than here in Michigan. It's mm-hmm. not uh, like in the negatives, sure, but it is, it is chilly mm-hmm. and it's rainy. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, and So every, almost everywhere on earth, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but almost everywhere on earth does experience four seasons, but they just look a lot different. Here in Michigan, we, obviously experience snow. You don't experience snow in say Florida, but you still do experience seasons. They just look a little different. So I don't know if you noticed that I said the earth gets more direct sunlight when we're leaning toward the sun. It doesn't really matter which way we're leaning. We're not really significantly closer or further away from the sun. So I, I think when I started writing this, I was first saying we're further away from the sun, but that's that's not exactly it. We're not further away from the sun or closer to the sun. It has to do with the way the sunlight is hitting the earth. Sure. So when we're leaning towards... Towards the sun, we're getting more direct sunlight. And direct sunlight really matters. We answered a question about this and I had to look back and see way back in season one of this podcast before Liz was even on it, an episode two (laughs) called Whale Buffet Wednesdays. I don't even know (laughs) why I remembered this. Don't ask me how, but I just was thinking about, I was like, we talked, I remember researching this. And it was a question specifically about how, why does it feel cooler in the shade than in the sun? And it's, there's a cooler temperature in the shade right. because direct sunlight makes a really big difference on temperature. Mm-hmm. So you can't do that experiment right now because <laughs> we aren't getting the direct sunlight. So right. you can't go outside. Today we're not getting any sunlight. Yeah. But even when we do get sunlight in the winter, it's not direct sunlight. So you really can't do this experiment where you're like, oh, it's warmer. And then I'm in the shade <laughs> and it's cooler. It's kind of just always cold. Maybe it's a little bit warmer. Yeah, The sun is shining. So that's, that's different. Um, direct sunlight raises the temperature. So when we are revolving around the sun and the earth is tilting away from the sun and not getting that direct sunlight, it's cooler. The in-between seasons, spring and fall, when the earth is not tilted towards the sun or away from the sun, so the temperatures are more moderate. I do like fall. Oh, I Maybe sh- maybe I should have said fall. It's so beautiful. <laughs> fall is a really great Sorry, Sorry season. to interrupt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, you know what's really interesting is that the temperatures are similar in um, spring and fall, but they feel different yeah, to you. Yeah, they do feel different. Yeah, yeah. But that, is, that is interesting. So you can actually do this um, cool experiment at home to see this difference between the way direct sunlight affects something and then indirect sunlight. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to test this out at home. You're going to take a flashlight and you're going to shine it. You got to dim the lights a little bit. This is going to work best if if your room is a little bit dark, as dark as you can handle it. You're going to put the flashlight face down directly at your desk. And then you're going to see how bright that spot is on your desk. And then you're going to tilt your flashlight. I'm showing Liz with my hand. You're just going to have to imagine this. Actually, I'm going to link a video that shows you how to do this experiment at home. Nice. And then you're, you're going to just lean your flashlight so it's kind of shining over the desk. And you're going to look at the light that's on the desk. It looks a lot different when it's that indirect light. And that is how it is when we're tilted away when it's winter. Nice. Yeah. That is that is basically how seasons are, are created. Because the seasons are caused by the Earth's tilt, the seasons are more drastic, the closer you are OK, I've made this word up to the tiltiest part of Earth, <laughs> the tiltiest part not that's not a word um, or the Earth's poles. You know, okay, the North yep. Pole and the South Pole are the f- extreme the extreme Extreme. yeah mhm right in michigan we have like i said already pretty drastic seasons we really can tell the difference in our climate in the seasons but the further south you travel the less noticeable the seasons are at the equator that invisible line that we already talked about that's around the middle of the earth the seasons are actually that is where there are no seasons yeah. where they're all the same okay they do you know they do have like a rainy season but it isn't the same because they pretty much have the same amount of daylight all day, the whole rotation around the Earth. The tiltiness doesn't affect them. The tiltiness does not <laughs> affect them. So they have the same amount of direct sunlight, and so they, they kind of have the same length of days all year round too, which would be interesting. I
1: feel like I would be okay with that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you don't want the dramatic at the poles? We've already no, no. talked about that. It's even. So the equator is consistent, but the poles are dramatic. In the winter in the poles, it's just dark. dark, No sunlight at all. Mm -hmm. And then in the summer, it's just light. Light all the time. Mm -hmm. And we talked about that before too. We haven't talked about that before. It's quite a
1: phenomenon.
0: It quite (laughs) is. So there, there we have it. Nice. Vivian, uh, seasons are caused by the tilt of the earth as it revolves around the sun. When we're tilting away, we have shorter and colder days like right now. Mm-hmm. And then when we are tilting towards the sun, we have longer and warmer days that we can just dream about right now. <sighs> yeah. But we, ap- we appreciate it. Yes. You know? We do. <laughs> we do appreciate it.
1: <laughs> oh, my. All right.
0: All right. What's your fact of are the day? Are you ready for a fact of the day? I'm ready.
1: Okay. Let me get my book here. So this fact of the day comes from a book called Animal BFFs. Oh. (laughs) Even animals have best friends.
0: That's so cute. And it's
1: by Sophie Corrigan, and it's found in the animal section of our junior nonfiction. Now, we've talked about animal books before that I really prefer photographs. I just, that's just what I prefer. However, this is an illustrated nonfiction, and the illustrations are absolutely adorable, so I would highly recommend checking it out. But this is about two animal BFFs, the deer and the turkey. So these oh. m- might be animals that you would see in wooded areas. In my Maybe backyard. if you live in a woodsy back, you know, you have a, a woodsy backyard, mm-hmm. you might see them wandering around. Um, here are some facts about deer and turkey. White-tailed deer and turkeys are often seen grazing and interacting with each other in meadows and coniferous forests from southern Canada to South America. Their youngsters have also been seen playing together. They mostly play chasing games. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> Unfortunately, both species are targeted by human hunters, so they team up to protect each other. The deer uses its great sense of smell, and the turkey uses its excellent eyesight to gain the advantage. Together, the pair sense hunters a lot quicker, which gives them a chance to get away. The turkey's vision is superb, It is three times as good as human vision.
0: Oh, wow. Did you know that? I did not.
1: I did not know that. In the daytime, turkeys can see in color, and thanks to its neck, in almost 350 degrees. Oh, wow. So the deer really rely on the turkey's eyesight to keep them safe from danger. Isn't that fascinating? That is
0: really fascinating. They're BFFs. Look at them. Oh, they're so (laughs) cute. You should check this book out from the library.
1: Animal BFFs. Highly recommend. Lots of different animals that work together.
0: That's very wonderful. We've talked about some of those on the podcast before. I bet they're in that book.
1: I bet you they are. I enjoyed, you know... And I say this a lot too, Jill, that I'll pick up a book just looking for an interesting tidbit and then end up reading the whole book because-
0: Yeah, that happens to me too. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm.
1: There was just so much to learn. So I highly recommend
0: Animal BFFs. Okay. What you got for us today? Oh, Jill. I'm so excited. I
1: was so excited to get this question. This question comes from Lincoln, who is 10 years old, and it was in our- Amy Van Andel Library here in Ada in our little question box that I have out in the kids area. And Lincoln asks, what animals, besides otters and chimps, use tools? Which ones? It's a great question. Yeah, it is. Uh, I've, I've seen videos of otters using rocks to open shells and chimpanzees using sticks uh, to fish for bugs. But what other animals carry around a toolbox? It won't surprise you to know that the most intelligent animals use objects around them as tools. It used to be thought that using tools it is what makes humans human. One thing that was mentioned repeatedly in my resources as I was reading about this was that scientists who study animals don't always agree on what a tool actually is. Mm. But the animals that we'll talk about today all use something in their environment for a specific purpose. Some animals are born knowing how to use tools, and some learn by watching older animals Mm -hmm. in their species. Animals using tools is actually a somewhat recent scientific discovery. Oh. It it started in 1960, which maybe sounds like a long time ago, but really, in scientific discovery, it was not that long ago. No, it isn't. Jane Goodall first observed chimpanzees in Tanzania using tools. Tanzania is located in eastern Africa. She saw a chimpanzee strip a twig of its leaves in order to fish for termites in a termite mound. Until that moment, it was universally accepted that only humans use tools. But this observation changed all of that. Dr. Goodall made the scientific community reconsider the classification of humans and chimpanzees from this observation. Oh. Also, in Central Africa and the Republic of Congo, chimpanzees have been observed with actual tool kits. They collected different size sticks for digging out bugs. They had pieces of moss, which they used to sponge and collect water to drink. And they had rocks that opened nuts, and they kept them together in a toolkit. There are many animals that use tools to eat, communicate, and to groom themselves. So here are a few more animals that use tools in interesting ways. So Lincoln mentioned otters, but I wanted to learn more, of course. Yeah, of course. Otters have a pouch under each of their front legs that they use to store food to bring to the water surface, so they dive down and collect mm-hmm. food. They're like little otter pockets,
0: <laughs> <laughs> right in their fur. In
1: their fur, it's oh, part I of their body. Even know that. So they use it to collect snacks. Uh, oh. However, wow. they also use these pouches to collect and store rocks. So I watched a video from the Shed Aquarium in oh, Chicago yeah. showing an Wait. otter taking things out of their little oh my pockets. Goodness. <laughs> it was amazing oh they that's can good. crack open shells with the rocks they collect or they use them to pry abalone shells off of bigger rocks so they can be eaten so they're underwater and they use they actually hammer the abalone shells shells with a rock to get them loose from okay. where they're growing mm-hmm. which when you think about it like that's really hard to do underwater yeah. you have all of that
0: pressure right. Do you
1: think they have a favorite rock for different purposes?
0: Probably. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that sounds really smart of them. It,
1: it's great. Okay, so <laughs> otters. The next animal are orangutans. They can strip the leaves off of a branch and fashion a whistle in order to alter the sound of their own call to ward off predators. Really? All orangutans make a kiss squeak sound. That's what it's called. But if one makes the sound through a bundle of leaves, it can make the orangutan sound bigger than it is. Oh! This might help protect them from danger. Orangutans also use leaves to protect their hands from spiky rainforest fruit, like an oven mitt. Oh! <laughs> Orangutans use sticks to fish for termites, like chimpanzees. Mm-hmm. They also use will use a stick to test how deep. A pond or stream is, like a yardstick, so they'll stick it in. They're so smart. Can you think of a big animal that uses a tool?
0: An elephant?
1: Yeah, elephants have really big brains. They use things in their environment as tools. Asian elephants know how long a branch needs to be in order to perfectly swat pesky flies on their backs. Elephants have also been observed digging for water holes and then covering them up so that the water doesn't evaporate.
0: Oh. So they
1: can go back to it later and mm-hmm. also to protect it so somebody else doesn't come and drink the water that they've dug, mm-hmm. which is super smart. Elephants have also been observed dropping rocks or stumps onto electric fences to cut the electricity and ruin the fence. Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) Which makes me think of the movie Jurassic Park when the the dinosaurs are testing for weaknesses. Elephants are super smart. (laughs) (laughs) Dolphins are the next animal we're going to talk about. Dolphins in Shark Bay, Australia. Australia has really amazing animals. Yes, They come up time and time again when we're researching. A lot. Mm -hmm. They were observed using sponges as a tool. They break off a sponge, which is the the kind that grow underwater Mm -hmm. and then they cover their noses and they look for fish that might be lying low in the sand or the rocky areas at the bottom of the water so Mm -hmm. it protects their face from getting poked. Mm -hmm. The sponge protects their noses from harm. They sometimes will carry the same sponge around for multiple (laughs) uses like it's their favorite sponge. (laughs) That's funny. Another really smart animal is the octopus. Veined octopuses have been observed gathering coconut shells that humans discard and make their way into the water. And then they'll carry the coconut shells from one part of the water to another and build a den to hide in. Now, this veined octopus is actually a really small octopus. When I think of an octopus, I think of a big,
0: yeah, giant me octopus. me too. Th- mm-hmm.
1: These are little okay. that can fit inside a coconut shell. Yeah. I watched some video of this too. <laughs> they can turn the shells over, and then they can fit two halves together so they can hide inside from predators.
0: Oh, that's smart use of a tool.
1: Yep. They also use rocks or other objects that they find to construct dens to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. One other ocean dweller that uses another animal as a tool, the boxer crab, or it's sometimes called a pom-pom crab, uses tiny anemones as a tool. They hold the tiny anemones in their front claws to ward off predators because anemones sting like jellyfish. So they wave them around to protect them, (laughs) but also so that the anemones can eat little bits of things floating in the water to keep them alive. I watched several videos of this. It was really amazing. If a crab loses their anemone, they'll fight another crab and take one of theirs. Oh. So both crabs then have one anemone. Then they tear the anemone <gasps> in two and they wait until both anemone regenerate. Okay. We've talked about animals yeah. that regenerate. I before, didn't know too. if they regenerated I they was like, they're killing them. So they just wait. They just hold the anemone until it grows oh, back again. Interesting. Now they both have a pair.
0: Oh. Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> Is it? Well, they got to protect themselves. Oh, my gosh. So,
1: so there's some water animals. Crows, lots of birds use tools, but mm-hmm. crows are really smart birds, and they use lots of objects and even their own feathers as tools. Crows have been observed dropping stones into a water pitcher in order to raise the water level so they mm-hmm. can drink. Crows also use sticks or other poking devices to... Um, impale bugs before they eat them mm-hmm. and they use lots of different objects to build and make a nest not just sticks and twigs things that they find in their environment that they think will make a good nest yeah they're always thinking And the last interesting bird behavior comes from a bird in Australia. Of course, yeah. (laughs) There are several species of birds, the black kite and the whistling kite, that take advantage of wildfires to source food. So there are a lot of fires in forested areas Mm -hmm. of Australia, and they've been observed taking burning sticks in their beaks and their talons to other parts of the forest to spread the fire because when the fire starts burning, then small animals will run out. And that's how they catch their prey. Oh. But it's very frustrating for firefighters when they can spread the fire by using things in their environment. Mm-hmm. So that was a really awesome question, Lincoln. I learned a lot. I hope you learned a lot. And this, there are so many animals that use tools. So we just talked about a few of them today. But... Animals are super smart and they're going to find a way to survive.
0: They are super smart. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about uh, let's we'll switch gears here and sure. talk about a really sad book I just oh. read. <laughs> <laughs> a really sad book. I know. It's not it's not all happy about animals using tools. That was wonderful. <sighs> Yeah, but it's a, it's an important book. So, you know, I just, I, first I finished it and I was like, I can't talk about this in the podcast. It's too sad. But I know that we have some listeners who probably like a sad book.
1: Some people are really moved by sad books and they, I have had people ask for a
0: good crying book. Yeah. So it's important to this know. This is that. This okay. is that. Um, Let's hear about it. Okay. So this book is called Ephron Divided and it is a book about, uh, Afrin, who is a, a young man. He's, I think he's sev- a seventh grader. So he's a middle schooler. And he lives in a, a a small apartment with his mom and his dad and his twin siblings who are kindergartners. Mm. Maybe some of our listeners know about having little siblings that can mm. just be annoying to you. And he has a wonderful life. It's a small home and they don't have a lot, but his mom is just so lovely, and she provides for her family so well, and she makes them delicious food, and um, she makes sure that they have their clothes pressed, which mm-hmm. I thought was such an interesting uh, detail. Mm-hmm. Most of us don't do a lot of pressing, mm-hmm. ironing no. anymore, but that was something that was very important to her, and so he always went to school with pressed, freshly pressed clothing. Mm-hmm. So Here's the thing about Efron. He is American born but his parents are both undocumented. Mm-hmm. This is a very scary thing for Efron and his family to think about. So one day, his mom doesn't return home from the market. And his neighbor has his brother and sister after school. They're at his, at his neighbor's house. And she tells him that his mom was deported. Oh, no. Yeah. And that is just, it was so difficult to read that and to know that this is a fiction book, but this is something that really happens um, to families, to have mom in a different country than the rest of the family and who's taking care of the family. And so a friend really steps up. He has to, he helps his dad. Well, his dad is working two jobs to try to save enough money to help bring his mom home. So he's taking care of his brother and sister. He's getting him breakfast in the morning and they're mischievous twin kindergartners. And so they're always, you know, being slow or I don't want to eat this or being slow to get their shoes on. And he's a seventh grader having to deal with that. And then he has to rush from his middle school afterwards and pick them up from school and take them home and make them dinner. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yes. But I really enjoyed seeing how he stepped up to the challenge. He was a really good student, and this is something that affected his grades at school, just taking care of his siblings and being so tired after that that he couldn't finish his homework every day. But he started to recognize how his mom was this superwoman. <laughs> it's like, yeah. wow. I can't believe how much she did. Mm. When we get her back, I'm going to help her with dinner more. Oh, that's sweet. It was really sweet. So, this is a this is a sad book. I'm just going to warn you that right from the, the beginning that I was I was sad all the way through um and it doesn't end how you might expect it to. So just be prepared. If you're not ready to read that right now, that's okay, but I really loved it. I thought all the characters were very well uh, written in this book and i really like to read about something that's that's really happening in our mm-hmm. world and just have a better understanding of something that i don't go through. Yeah. A book is a good oh. way to like understand somebody else's story.
1: For sure. Yeah.
0: Thanks was, for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. And i listened to the audiobook too which was great because there are a lot of words in spanish in it and so for me to hear those words in spanish was really mm-hmm neat immersive yes it was immersive yes so i appreciated that
1: awesome well grab the kleenex grab the kleenex oh. prepare your prepare your heart for prepare this one mm-hmm. thanks jill all right are we ready for what we
0: learned today i think we are would you like to go first yeah <laughs> okay i learned a lot um but i my favorite thing is the chimpanzees who have tool kits. Just carrying I'm just picturing them carrying around right. their little kit. Like, do they wrap it in leaves? Yeah, do they I'm have a hiding really spot sure. for it? has all their favorite things. Yeah, you got to protect your favorite things. Someone else might try to take your tools. Great. Right.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I learned about the tiltiness of the earth.
0: The tiltiness. New word. <laughs> made up word.
1: I guess, I, and I did l- learn that we're not really farther away. I guess that was a thing that. I don't know, maybe somebody told me or something. That's yeah. why we had different seasons that were farther but we're not really farther away. It's just the tiltiness. Right. Tiltiness. I'll never forget that, Jill. Thank I you know. for sharing. Yeah, that you're welcome. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess that's it for us for today. Thanks for all of your amazing questions. Please keep them coming, helping us to learn about more more about our world too. For more information or to send us your own question, head to kdl.org forward slash stump. Tune in to the next episode where we answer even more of your questions. A huge and special thanks to the KDL Programming Department, the KDL Marketing Department, and J.D. Delinsky for our intro and outro music. Thank you.